You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the next edition of the Renewed You podcast. I'm so glad that you are with us today. Our goal in this podcast is to present to you stories and conversations that will help you to realize that by getting healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually, we can truly change our lives and live out the plans that God has for us. Uh, today, I've got a special guest host with me, uh, so I'm glad to have my dad. How you doing, Pop? I'm doing great. Glad to be with you, son. I'm glad you're here, man. Seems like we're joined at the hip these past few weeks. I know it. I'm, <laughs> I'm not complaining too bad. I think you might be a little nah, bit. But no, it's been great. It has been good, and uh, so glad to have you with us today. Um, and my special guest is a new friend in my life, and I am excited for you guys to get to hear her story, and um, I want you guys to meet Miss Ashley Drake. How you doing, Ashley? I'm good. Thank uh, you for asking. I love your accent. Come on, don't be quiet. <laughs> I hear it more and more. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, where, based on your accent, where are you from? Let's start there. Tennessee. I'm sure you can hear it. I can hear it, but that's all right. So what about Tennessee do you miss most of all? You guys have transitioned to Oklahoma. And uh, what do you miss about Tennessee? Trees. The trees. (laughs) We miss trees. We miss green flowers. All of those uh, beautiful things that help you breathe. That help you breathe. (laughs) And what is the difference in the trees? I mean, is it the amount of trees? Are there different types of trees in Tennessee versus here? Yeah, well, see, in Tennessee, there are trees. Oh, okay. (laughs) Everywhere. Yeah. In many ways. You know, like in Tennessee, if you say you're riding a back road, what you're saying is, I'm going to get lost in the woods. Okay. Here, there isn't any woods. There's no woods. No. No. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, uh, is it the density of the trees? that you miss is it the height of the trees that you miss all of them all of them that you can see them and there's leaves falling from them yeah because they're there right you know here it's kind of like a flat plane (laughs) i need to bring her to my backyard i know there's lots of trees in your backyard (laughs) there's leaves everywhere i'll tell you we went to a pool party last weekend and there was three flowers planted right beside the pool and we were so excited about those flowers (laughs) about the flowers oh yes (laughs) (laughs) well so ashley uh why don't you start at the beginning you have had an incredible life story already in your young what 21 years of living i mean we'll just leave it there right (laughs) so you've had this incredible life story and i'm excited for people to hear about your life and what god has done in you so why don't you just start wherever you want to start and just start sharing your story with us yeah absolutely um so you know obviously by my accent i was born and raised in tennessee um in west tennessee Uh, There's not really a lot of hills there. That's more of like the flatter land, but there's still trees. Um, (laughs) And so uh, when I was born, uh, my mom was really young. She had never even smoked a cigarette in her life. She didn't understand addiction. And uh, she got with my father. My father was a heroin addict. And so um, she was really young, didn't know how to be a mom. I was born. She left my father. He was selling my stroller for heroin. And she took me to my grandmother's house, and um, she let me stay there so she could kind of go figure out life. Um, She actually um, started dating my stepfather when I was about two, um, and then started a new family life. And by the time she came back around, um, I had pretty much clung to my grandmother. You know, that was was my strong tower. That was uh, my safety and security. And so my grandmother raised me and it was always a constant battle between my mom and my grandmother keep her here keep her here and so but my grandmother had me well-rounded um she kept me in dance class singing class um she had me in karate you name it baseball softball i did it all um 
Not that it made me any better because I'm horrible at sports. <laughs> what about dance? Are you good at dancing? Um, no, I, no, I can still do a back bend. I might not you, you be able to get up. Have, so I, what kind of dancing was it? Let's take a pause in a minute in the story. Yes. What kind of dancing was it? Was it ballet? Yeah. Was it? Well, I, yes, that. And I did gymnastics. And I actually, that's probably the only sport I was ever really good at. And then I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, do you know that he did dancing in college? He, did you? He did. Like, Oh, I don't want to go there. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, I went to Eastern New Mexico University, and uh, a unique thing about that college was before you graduated, you had to take an individual sport, a team sport. Everybody had to take swimming, and you had to take a, um, a dance class. So talk about well-rounding people so we can live out the fullness of that's God's right, plan, That's right, that's right. Okay, go ahead. And, of course, uh, the only when I, when I went to sign up for a dance, I had in my mind, I'm going to take tap dance, right? Like I get tap dance. <laughs> uh, well, all they had was modern dance. Mm -hmm. They put you in the ballet? Me and one other guy was in there, all these girls. And the first day I walked in and I, the lady was, a woman was our instructor. And I said, look, if we have to wear leotards, give me an F right now. I'm not putting on any leotards. She said, no problem. So, but that was quite an interesting experiment. Uh, going and learning all those pirouettes and all so the So before movements. you said that, was she going to make you wear a leotard? I don't know, but she knew with both of us, she wasn't going to get our participation. We had to put on leotards. But I mean, he had to write his own dance for his finale. Yeah, I had, to, final. had to choreograph my own dance. And my wife, we just got married uh, the last semester of college. So we had a real small married house apartment. You know, this room is probably yeah. bigger than the whole, practically the whole apartment. And so I'm sliding across the floor trying to do all these. Annie's laughing at me and trying to, trying to help me create some kind of a dance. And then you had to go in there by yourself, just with the instructor, and do the dance. Everybody looking at you, laughing at you through the window. Uh, but I got a C, so I was glad. At least I got out of there with a C, <laughs> probably because of participation only, not because of my skill at modern dance. Well, I'm sure anyway. that uh, you probably looked a lot more the part <laughs> in oh, your dance class yes, yeah. than dad probably yeah. did but uh well uh, you know i really don't know um, i know they put me in a lot of sports and i sat on the bench a lot so yeah. I, I probably mm. looked that way yeah so uh i was involved i was i was heavily involved my mom wouldn't let me communicate with my dad because he was a drug addict and so when i was about seven my grandmother started sneaking me to see him and so I'd see him two or three times a year if he wasn't in jail. Um, we'd go to his house, and she'd let me stay the night with him. And, you know, when I went to my dad's house, I always felt like this princess because when I was around, he treated me like I was this gift from God. But it was kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And in addiction, you see that a lot um, with a lot of parents. It's not that they don't love them or they don't even treat them well. It's just an out of sight, out of mind. And so for me, I felt that a lot. Um, I was raised Catholic. My entire family was Catholic. And so um, some people meet Jesus that way. But for me, I just, I went because that was what you were supposed to do. Um, and then um, from the time I was seven to the time I was 13, my grandmother was sneaking me to see him. And when I was 13 years old, um, I'll never forget on New Year's Eve, we went and stayed the night with him. He had just got out of a jail, out of jail. He had been in there for a year and uh, come home. And the next morning I woke up and my grandmother said, uh, she called me in the bathroom and she said, I have something to tell you. And I said, you know, what is it? And she said, your father was murdered last night in a drug deal gone bad. And, uh, you know, I didn't know him well, but for me, I was one of those people that say all the time, I'll never be like my parents. Mm -hmm. And um, from that moment, I became my parents. I started partying on the weekends. Um, I, I went off the deep end quick. But the difference between me and all the people I was partying with was that they could stop. You know, like they could go to a party like like other people do, and they could drink on weekends and come home, and they could be successful in life and make good grades. And for me, it was not that way. I just couldn't stop. Um, I, I started drinking, then I started smoking pot, and then before you know it, um, by the time I was 14, I was taking pills, and then I um, started smoking crack cocaine. Um, I was introduced through a 37-year-old crack dealer. Um, I got pregnant. My grandmother had taken me to get an abortion at that time. Um, she said that my life would be chaos if I didn't. She was trying to protect me. 
Um, and then I came back from that and went off the deep end again and dabbled into pills and Xanaxes and just kept blacking out. And then when I was 16, I got a $20,000 back paycheck for my dad's death that my grandmother had been fighting for years. And uh, you don't hand a 16-year-old drug addict $20,000 and grandparents don't know how to say no. So I'd just go to Grandma and I'd say, Grandma, you know, um, can I have can I have a thousand dollars and then of course she'd give me the grandparents speech you don't need to spend all this money and then she'd give it to me <laughs> so <laughs> I'm yeah. sure every every grandparent knows yeah and so uh twenty thousand dollars later um and six cars later within a year that was six gone. cars six cars in six months totaled them yes totaled them oh yes don't even remember totaling them actually mm. one day oh, wow. I, I, I'll never forget and you know here's the thing I have to find some amusement in <laughs> my recovery sure. because you know there was so much trauma attached to it at a young age that I just look back and think wow thank you Jesus that right. you live. <laughs> right. but I remember one time I woke up and I had this it was the first car that she bought me or the second one it was a white crown Vic it was a 2000 um it was like a 2004 and at this time it was 2006 and uh i was like wow you know this is a nice car and it was a boat and it was fresh and it had a system in it that was back when systems were cool not anymore <laughs> right. and i remember driving that thing around and one night um i had taken one too many xanax bars and blacked out and uh, I woke up the next morning, and my car was gone, and my grandmother was just sitting over me, staring at me with her arms crossed. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't even remember how I got there, so there was no telling what happened. And she said, you don't remember what happened last night? I said, no, but I feel like it's bad, and you're going to tell me. She said, yeah. She said, I was following you on the wrong side of the road, trying to get you to pull over because you somehow or another flattened all four of your tires, and you were driving on your rims. I said, well, where's the car? She said, I don't know. One of your drug buddies has got it. Your, your stepdad brought you home last night. I was like, oh. So that happened pretty often for me. Um, I would wake up and wonder where my car was, or I'd wake up, and one time I woke up, and they, the next that day they sent me to a maximum security detention center. And I didn't even know I was going because I couldn't remember it. And so this was my life for a very long time. Uh, I'd get sober. I'd go back out. I'd get sober. I'd go back out. I went to about six different juvenile treatment centers. And then um, my grandmother had raised me, my grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather. Um, and I had had a lot of loss with my father. And when I was 17, I found out that I was pregnant. I had been sober. Um, they actually sent me to put me in a state's custody and sent me to a group home and I stayed there for uh, half of a year and I, I came home and uh, got with a guy I got pregnant it was an extremely abusive relationship and I remember I found out that I was having a little girl um, the same day that my grandmother found out that she was uh, had pancreatic cancer and mm. so um I didn't really understand, I mean, I didn't know how to deal with loss the right way. Um, I didn't understand having a relationship with Jesus. Um, I never got that concept. For me, it was confess your sins to a priest and you're okay um, because I didn't understand the relationship aspect. And so um, all I knew with grief was to deal with it the way I knew how, and it was to escape it, um, even if it was just for the moment. And uh, I went off the deep end. I actually, the the gentleman that I was with, the 37-year-old crack dealer, I was delivering pizzas for Domino's, and one day I delivered a pizza, and he had switched his drug of choice from cocaine to meth, and he offered me meth that day, and I never went back. Mm. And um, within six months, I had uh, totaled up nine felonies, and uh, actually it was like 12. They dropped it down to nine, and uh, I just kept getting out, and then I'd take off, and I'd run, and I'd have all these warrants everywhere. And so one day, the day before Christmas Eve 2009, I had this bright idea. Um, everything's got to be better in Kentucky. So <laughs> I was like, let's just leave. I got warrants everywhere. Let's go to Kentucky. So I went to Kentucky. It's not better in Kentucky. Okay. <laughs> it's not. And so uh, I went on Christmas Eve of 2009, and on New Year's Eve of 2009, I was arrested um, for um, three class A felonies and uh, I was 19 years old and I went to pretrial the next morning and they told me I was facing 25 years to life 
And, you know, you would think that that scared me or it changed me, but, you know, nothing had at that point. Yeah. Nothing had changed the way that I thought. Um, I didn't have this relationship with Christ. To be honest with you, at that point, I had been through so much trauma. I had experienced so much sexual trauma. Men had abused me. Um, so I learned that I could use that to get what I wanted. I had went through so much pain and grief, just the things that I had seen and witnessed from humanity that... All I could think was, if there's a good God, then why would he allow me to live through so much hell? That was my question. And so uh, I, I didn't believe that a God existed because I didn't, I didn't believe that if he was good, he would allow me to live through what I did. And so I went through like that. And then they told me when I was in jail, I was there for seven months, and, you know, I was really young and peppy, and I drove everybody in the cell nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... We had my plea worked out, and the guys I got arrested with, we were all going to prison for 10 years uh, on a 10-year sentence for two, and it was fine. We all went to court seven months later, and the night before court, I got on my knees and prayed to a God I didn't believe in, and I said the jailhouse prayer, God, if Mm -hmm. you get me out of this, I'll serve you, and uh, about a week before that, I had read the book, The Shack, and uh, something about it, it, it stuck with me. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of controversy to that. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, it's something that I held on to. Because in my eyes, the things that Mackenzie had dealt with um, internally were the same things that I had dealt with within mm-hmm. myself. And so I went to court and the judge looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, you're young and uh, I'm going to have mercy on you and I'm going to give you a chance. The two guys I got arrested with, they went to prison. Um but he let me go to the Hope Center, mm. and I went. I'd love to tell you that it changed my life, and I was just super excited to see what God did, but I didn't. I'd cuss you out in the sanctuary, and I wouldn't think twice about it. <laughs> I was a horrible human being. <laughs> I just did not have um, integrity, character, a relationship with Christ. And so I was there about four months, and um, I left uh, in the middle of the night because I knew I was going to get kicked out anyway, and I went wild. Um, ended up getting pregnant in the week that I was out came back into uh, it was a hope center at the time and about two weeks in I found out I was pregnant uh, with my daughter Cadence and um, you know about four months into that stay of course this year I'm this at this point I'm almost a year clean off of drugs anyway um, something clicked in me at that moment, and it wasn't that I had lost everything. It was just this aha moment in my heart where I said, I have nothing left. Like, I, I have nothing. I am at the bottom as bottom can be. I'm pregnant with a child. I have another child who doesn't know who I am. I have nowhere to go. I have no support system. Like, And I fell on my face. And, of course, at that time, they really didn't know how to treat pregnant people. So if I told them I was sick, they're like, oh, stay. We we don't need a lawsuit. And so uh, they let me stay at home. And for about seven days, I fell on my face. And I I screamed and I cried. And I didn't come to God with this put-together prayer. It wasn't, you know, the Our Father. It was the, if you're real, show up and show out in my life because I am broken. And I need you to be a dad and I need you to stick up for me when I can't even stand up. I can't stand up. I can't function. I can't live this way. Like, I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to do this. But I feel as if I can't go one step further. And if you don't do it for me and show up and be the God that everybody says you are, then I won't do it either. And I got up and, you know... I want to make it clear in this statement, not everybody gets it this way. Not everybody has just this radical aha moment in their recovery where one day they're one person and the next day they're somebody different. But for me, that's what it was. Um, For me, it was I got up and I walked different and I talked different and my language changed and I was a nine-time convicted felon and I got a job making really good money and the person who employed me gave me a house and they gave me a car and um and I got on my feet and uh you know I I watched God move in that and I remember you know the great thing about that point was I always go back to the time I was living in a camper behind my boss's house and I had little coffees in the refrigerator outside the camper and I had this car and sometimes the further you go along in your walk the more you mature and you're not like you know it's not like this everything is just blue and pink and it's just you know you mature and and you grow up but 
you know, it was in that moment, and usually in all of our moments when we first come to Christ where we're so excited, and if we see the blessing from God in every single thing that He does. And my prayer a lot of times is, God, bring me back to that moment just for a second so I can go back to my gratitude. And so uh, that was kind of my salvation story. Um, And then when I got out, um, I got married. Uh, I would love to say that in the past 12 years of my salvation and my recovery that it has been this this great walk where, you know, I, man, I tell you, I've just been walking in lilies and sunflowers every day. Right. The reality is, is that's not the walk of Christ. He never said it would be easy. He just said he'd walk it with us. Right. It's and true. so, um, the difference between now and then is, is that I can feel the pain and I can work through the pain as to where before I did everything that I could to avoid it. Um, a lot of good things have happened, um, in my walk. I actually, um, I had another daughter, so now I have I have two. And then the third daughter that I was pregnant with, I actually have joint custody of her. She comes weekends, holidays, things like that. And, um, you know, my kids wake up every single day, and they know who God is. They know how he is for them. They know that he loves them. And um, up until we actually came to Oklahoma, because I don't take them to school anymore, when I, when I had my kids in Tennessee, every single morning before they got out of the car, I would always tell them the same thing. Make sure and tell somebody that God loves them. Make sure and go after the weakest person and tell them how much that they're loved. And those are things that I'm capable of doing now because I'm capable of loving myself. But at the same time, it hasn't been easy. Worth it, but easy. Um, After I started working for a little while, I asked God what he wanted to do next with my life. And so about two years into my recovery, God said, go to college. I said, okay. And so uh, I went to college. I applied for the university I wanted to go to when I was in high school. Of course, I graduated with 1.6 because I was high the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) So the college was like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to a community college. There's no way we can take you. I was like, okay. So I applied to a community college. And they accepted me. And um, I went and I got my associate's degree in sociology. And I graduated with 4.0 at the top of my class. Mm. Um, And then I applied to the same college again. I said, will you take me now? Well, yeah, we'll take you in. We'll give you an academic scholarship. (laughs) I Hmm. said, okay, well, let's do that then. And I I went, not for any other reason than just to see if I could do it. And um, I ended up with a bachelor's in psychology, and I graduated 4.0 at the top of my class with honors. Um, And then I was like, well, what do I do now? So I went, and um, I studied. I got a minor in Christian studies um, in my undergraduate, and God said, keep going. And so uh, I went to Piedmont International and got my master's in theology. And, uh, you know, I remember in the midst of my college experience, at one point I, I asked God, I sat in my driveway, I'll never forget the smell, I'll never forget of the scenery that was around me, and I was so angry because I was in college, and uh, I was like, God, I'm a felon. Like, why do you tell me to keep going if I can't do anything with mm-hmm. it? Like, I can't go out here and use this in a public field and get a, get a career with it. And I'll never forget, of course, that's before I do the position that I, I do now. And I'll never forget that moment God verbally spoke to me. And it's one of the few times that, I, that I've audibly heard him. He said, if you didn't have the felonies, you wouldn't be doing what I wanted you to do. You'd be doing what you wanted to do. Mm. And I said, okay. So I kept going. And I can see now um, in what I do how that intertwines with, here's the thing, I'm stubborn. God knows <laughs> I am stubborn. I would do what I wanted to do, and I would just keep going. Um, and so God sometimes has to sit me down and do things for me. Yeah. So um, that's kind of a broad explanation of my story and how it's went. And um I have beautiful children. I have a degree. I have a career. I'm married um, to an amazing man of God. Um, God has brought me a very, very long way. He so. has. Hey, uh, I got a couple of questions, and then Dad, jump in here. Um, let's go back into your story. As far as you kept, you kept making comments, um, alluding to uh, the pain and the trauma that that you endured. Um, I want to ask you to to talk to me about. Um, some of the whys why did you get into drugs and stay there with everything that was going on for somebody who maybe they they can't understand 
um, why someone can get involved in something and not be able to get out. You said some of your friends could stop and you were unable to stop. So um, what would be some of those reasons why you got into that and it, it became a coping mechanism for other, other issues probably? So, you know, somebody actually asked me this. I was training somebody the other day, and um, she's working with me in the drug and alcohol field, and she really was just asking as a for real question, not Mm -hmm. as my opinion, but she said, you know, um, is addiction a disease or is it a choice? And, of course, that's the question of the hour. If I had Mm. the answer to that, shut it all down. Let's just go home. Um, But I know that when I used... I didn't have to feel that pain. Uh, Now, I woke up the next morning, and I still felt it, which is why I had to use again. But anybody who's ever experienced grief and loss and um, trauma and uh, rape and all of the things that come along with that will tell you, I just don't want to feel the pain anymore. It's why people commit suicide, Mm -hmm. because they would rather die than feel the way that they feel every single day. And for me, the loss of my father, who treated me like this princess, and, you know, you you relate the heavenly father to your earthly father, and I didn't have that figure. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I felt like I was the black sheep of my entire family, and the only one I related to was my father, and now he wasn't here anymore. And so... So that really was a pivotal moment for you. It was. It was like the one person in my life who I felt like understood who I was was no longer here. And there was a lot of questions that I had that still to this day, I know in my mind that his addiction was not because of me. It wasn't anything I did or didn't do that I wasn't going to be able to change it. But my heart, you know, always says, why was I not enough? You know, Mm -hmm. why was I not enough? And so... And that's for him. Mm -hmm. And so there are times when I wake up or there's there's times when I wake up and I I ask myself questions like, would he have been a good grandfather? Would he have been there for his grandkids? Would he have walked me down the aisle? You know, would he, would he, would he? And, And the thing is, is those are things that I talk to people about when I go and see him in jails. You know, when I was doing admissions for the Hope Center for years, um, every time I'd go see a father that was in a jail cell looking at him in class, I would ask him, are you a parent? And he would say, yeah, I am. I'd say, is it, you know, is it a little girl, a boy? And they'd tell me, and I'd say, let me tell you something. If you don't get it together, whether you come here or whether you go somewhere else, I promise you one of two things is going to die is going to happen. You're either going to end up in prison or you're going to die. And either one is just as bad. And at the end of the day, that little girl is going to ask herself for the rest of her life why she wasn't enough. Because I do that. Mm-hmm. And you know in your mind that that's not the way that it is. But in your heart, you still have those questions. And so... When I was younger and I didn't have Christ to help me to fill that, you know, to fill that gap for me and to fill that hole that I had, um, and I didn't understand the relationship side of it, drugs did. Drugs filled it. And so um, I could get high and I wouldn't have to think about anything. But then I'd wake up the next morning, I'd have the same feeling, so I'd have to get high all over again. And then that would have to keep going in order to not feel the pain. It's like when someone dies and you feel grief, you just want to lay on the floor for days and cry. And day after day, it gets a little easier, um, just a little bit easier. The pain doesn't necessarily go away, but it gets easier to cope with. Right. And so when you're in addiction and you're using that as a coping mechanism, it's literally like you're not processing it. So someone dies, you get high to not feel it, then you wake up the next morning and it's like it just happened. And then you get high again. So by you know, you can go five years. By the time I got sober, I had literally went years without experiencing that. So it was like one day I woke up and I didn't have drugs and oh my gosh, look, my dad's gone. It was mm-hmm. like it just happened. You know, my grandmother is gone. My grandfather is gone. Like, everybody's left. And so even though everybody was like, yeah, that was years ago. You should have coped with it by now. I mm. wasn't here years ago. You know, that I, I, wasn't exi- I was just existing. I wasn't living. You know, me, myself, my mind, it wasn't there. I coped differently. Did, so, did you ever think about just ending it? Absolutely. Um there were multiple times, especially, I'll never forget when I was 14, 
um, and I was living with uh, the crack dealer. I was very, very sick, and I remember standing in the back bedroom of my grandmother's house, and I weighed 94 pounds, and she had just bought me a new pair of shorts, and, you know, I think about this a lot, because my daughter's, you know, my oldest daughter's 13, my middle daughter's 10, you know, I was just four years older than, than her, and I think about standing back there, and I was so addicted, and nobody knew, and I was so alone, and I pulled my shorts up, and they fell off of me. And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, what are you doing? Like, I remember thinking in that moment, I would rather die than live this way. I don't want to live this way anymore. Um, I remember being in jail and wishing that I could just end it. But to be honest with you, I never even have enough umph to follow through with it. It was always just, please, let me overdose and die because I don't have the guts to do it myself. Yeah. Um. And that's where I was. If I could just get high enough, you know, maybe I wouldn't wake up one day. Dude. Excuse me. You know, as I listen to your story, the thing that uh, stands out in my mind is amazing grace. Because uh, God was there all the time with you, trying to get through, not able to, but still there, never abandoned you. Because when you were born, he had a plan and purpose for your life. And uh, <clears throat> that's the way it is with all of us. We're all born with this nature to do wrong, and generally we do until we come some way to the end of ourself and either um, someone directs us to Christ or we do what you did, cry out, and he shows up some way to bring us to a sense of reality that he does love and care, and he does have something better and greater for us. <clears throat> And then his grace is what transforms us. We, we can't do it ourselves. Just like you said, you tried, you couldn't. So the amazing grace of God. Um, and now that he is, he's always, he never abandons us. See, I think a challenge we have is coming to know God as he really is. We have our conceptions of God based upon what we're told or what we hear preached. But most of us have an inf- an inferior understanding of God because he's greater than all that we could imagine. And his grace is, well, Corey Ten Boom said years ago, you can go to the deepest pit, but his grace is even deeper still. Yeah. And I think of that uh, as I hear your story because in a way it's all of our stories. Yours was certainly more traumatic and wow, just I can't even imagine what you had to go through but I can imagine what God has brought you from because he all who trust in him he brings us out of into him right out of whatever we've been in into him and that's what to me makes uh, you talk about hope center that's that's what gives us hope that he can do what we can't do for ourselves and so I'm just uh, I'm even more thankful listening to your story of uh, his amazing grace and how that he truly never leaves us nor forsakes us. We, uh, even though sin may separate us from him, in other words, we don't have a relationship with him, we don't have a knowledge of him, we don't have a sense of his love and peace when we're out there, quote, sinning, doing our own thing, he's still there. His grace yeah. is still working. It's called prevenient grace. He's always working to bring us to himself. And he, he will go to any lengths to do that because we're more than just a physical being experiencing physical pain we're a spirit being that he wants us to be with him in relationship here but eternally forever and so he he doesn't hold anything back and he uses everything and to him of course he sees things different than we do he sees things from the end and works back toward us he saw you sitting here today he saw you working with hope ministries and helping people and he sees what yet is before you you don't but your trust in him will lead you into that and you'll live out that purpose. Um, so it's just amazing to me um, how God's grace works in the midst of all that we do. And it, oftentimes uh, um, to avoid not only the pain of what we're struggling with physically, but the, the, the sense of, of uh, conviction and the sense of his working to you know, really get through to us. He doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. He's always there. No doubt. And so I think that's uh, that's the great gospel story. The amazing grace of God. He doesn't abandon you. 
He loves you even when you don't love yourself. Mm-hmm. And his love is sufficient when when we open our heart to it, to bring that glorious transformation you're talking about and that we all experience in Christ, being, quote, born again. And so anyway, I'm just... Uh, I'm overwhelmed by your story and just what you've told. I'm sure there's so much more mm-hmm. there, obviously, that we can't even relate to, but um, the amazing grace of God and where he's brought you from and what he's doing in your life today, I think it's it's just it's just a glorious testimony. You know, one of the things that is amazing to me, because uh, we don't have smell-o-vision or, or, you know, we're not, we're not webcasting, um, video casting uh, this recording but if you were to look at this young lady you would have uh, no idea no idea you know what she has come through no idea um or what have you um which i just think is even more amazing um you said you talked about the shack let's talk about that book for a minute cuz i think anybody who reads um there are books probably other than the bible that god can use at key moments for me um i'm still unpacking a love for the story of King Arthur from when I was a kid. And, and that has, God speaks to me through that story. Um, and then, uh, the Lord of the Rings, the whole idea of a fellowship going and accomplishing something together. Um, the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. Those are two books that really mean a lot to me outside of the Bible, um, that I can see myself in the shack. What did you pull out of that, that you said you could identify with that the author put in there? So, brought uh, just a basic explanation real quick. So, um, in the shack, Mackenzie, um, he loses, you know, for anybody who's seen the movie or read the book. Um, read the book. It's better than the movie, by <laughs> the way. It really is. Um, in, that, in that movie or and or book, um, Mackenzie loses his daughter. Um, she's kidnapped and she's brutally murdered. And he's going through this... Um, what they call the great sadness that's what they refer it to the great sadness and you know he's in this big depression and he just can't function or get up or move and listen if you talk to my kids right now they can they can actually repeat the movie verbatim to you word mm. for word like they go along with the movie because we used to watch it every night it would bring me peace and happiness mm-hmm. but um he went through that tragic pain and he just didn't know how to deal with it so he just stopped and that was his you know for me it was well let's go get high and escape it for him it was i'm just i'm, I'm just not going to do anything i'm done i'm checked out and so of course papa um sends him a letter in the mail and says come to the shack um i've been waiting for you and um that's one thing that really stuck with me was that they called god papa um i have actually abba tattooed Mm -hmm. on my arm um but in the hebrew version of the bible that is how jesus approached um god he he didn't come to him as father he went to him as abba and abba means papa daddy it's the Mm -hmm. most intimate form of god that you can use and so for them to use papa as this it, it was peaceful to me because sometimes we look at this we look at god as this mean being on an anthill waiting to just come right. down and hurt us and in that moment i didn't need a man on an i didn't need a, a being on an anthill mm-hmm. i needed a papa i needed a daddy i needed something with peace and so uh, that stuck with me and then he goes and he's angry and and papa is gentle with him he you know she she loves on him the way that he needs it in the moment and there's so much controversy with papa coming as this big african-american lady in the kitchen you Mm -hmm. know um that's the big controversy but for me that's comforting because Mm -hmm. in that moment she she looks at him and she said i didn't think that you could handle a father right now Mm -hmm. and so i'm coming to you to love on you and what you need at the moment you need a you need a, a mama mm-hmm. figure. Let me love on you in that way. And then when he needed a father, mm-hmm. he came to him as that. And so um, that always stuck with me. And then when when Mackenzie walked into um, the living room, when it was you know God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, you know he's introduced to all of them. And in this moment, he's just extremely emotional. And of course, he's still in his great sadness, and a tear runs from mm-hmm. his eye, and the Holy Spirit puts the tear in a jar and she says we all collect things we value don't we i collect tears and 
in that moment, like I, I needed that because there are so many tears that I cried that I needed to hear in that moment that they were making a difference, that they were going to be used for something, that they were going to be useful, that somebody was catching my tears and recording them to make something beautiful. And the best part is at the end of the movie, she takes these tears and she pours them um, on McKin on a Missy's grave and this beautiful tree comes up and it's like, you know, she took his tears and created mm-hmm. something so beautiful out of it in his heart. And that's what I needed. And I'll never forget in the book, I, I memorized this because it stuck with me the most. Um, Mackenzie's standing in the, in the grave speaking, or in the cave speaking to wisdom. And um, uh, wisdom says, and, and it's her speaking for God. And she says, nobody knows what horrors I have saved from the world because nobody can see what never happened. All Hmm. evil flows from independence and independence is your choice. If I take away choice, then I take away the possibility of love and love that is forced is no love at all. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. I think it's cool. (laughs) Um, because, um, we're in a series right now at our church talking about how God speaks to people. We just had lunch today with a gentleman that this is kind of opening up his idea to God speaking in different ways in his life. And um, another gentleman sent us a text yesterday about how that, that he's opening himself up to listening to God in other areas of his life. And for all the people that get hung up on that controversy, I, I know what it is in that book. To me, they miss the heart of God. The heart of the Father is that he will come to us in whatever way is necessary to meet whatever need it is he's addressing because he's more concerned about us, about healing our need and getting our heart than he is coming in the right way. And I think it's just fantastic that one of the ways that we probably don't understand that God communicates is through the written word that other people write. I mean, Two-thirds of the New Testament is another guy's letters, and we have no problem hearing God in those, but yet here is a book called The Shack, and yet God breathed on the truth encased within that binding and spoke to you in the moment that you needed it, and it was one of the key ways that he brought you back to himself. Um, I and not just, only that, but he also... You know, God used that to help me to want to see him, to want to go and read his word and to understand it. You totally. Know, I'll, I'll never forget there was a, a part in the movie that has stuck with me. It's one of my favorite parts. Um, when my husband plays it, I make him rewind it and say, mm-hmm. hey, that was my favorite part. Rewind it. I want to listen again. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's Mackenzie and um, he said, she says, truth is down in the woodshed right now, covered in sawdust. And Mackenzie's so angry with God. And um, he looks at him in that moment and says, truth, I know that truth. You left him just like you left my missy. And she says, don't ever misunderstand the mystery. And she holds her hands out, and there's holes in, in God's hands too. And he said, I never left you. I never left Missy, and I never left him. All love has, I mean, what was it she said? Oh, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, uh, love is sacrifice. And I was there every step of the way. And it was in that moment that I had so many questions about the Bible and, you know, why. And and he had to turn his face away from God in that moment of pure agony of hanging on the cross. And to know that, you know, God was there with him in that. He didn't leave any of us in our pain. Mm -hmm. None of us. And so, uh, you know, there's things that I saw in the movie that helped me with the painful questions that I had been taught my entire life. You know, it wasn't just about giving me peace and contentment in the moment, but helping me understand the Father in a way that he wasn't He wasn't a God with his thumb on me, but a God who was for me and wanted, you know, and, and helped me to see that my life was not about me, but it was about using me to right. serve totally. the greater good. So true. You know, uh, to, <clears throat> to help me to see that, if everything that we do is done in love, then we can lead people to the Father. If what we do is done with the love of the Father, then they will see the Father and they will come to the Father. And yeah. that, those are things that I saw in that movie that, you know, um, 
religion hurt me for a long time. And I, I tell people all the time, hell didn't scare me enough to get me saved, but love changed me. That's good. That's good. Well, I think I think for anybody that is listening to this podcast that has faced any kind of addiction, maybe maybe, and we we tend to to minimize or categorize addictions like, well, mine is this, but it's not as bad as this person. Or, come on, man, addiction's addiction. One of the things my counselor taught me was that I thought my pain was different than everybody else's pain, but in reality, pain is just pain. It's all the same, and we cope with it in similar ways. We try to find things that mask the pain, help us not feel the pain, um, whatever that, that is. But for any of us that have been involved in some kind of an addictive behavior, um, at some point we, we have to get over ourselves and viewing that, that I'm lost or I'm lonely or nobody cares about me or, or I can't change this or, um, I want to check out of here because of that. Um, and realize that there is somebody who does believe in us and that, of course, is more than just God. That's other people. And one of the ways that we forget that God speaks most often is through people. Hope is a people ministry that at some point made an impact on you, right? Absolutely. An impact enough that now you're taking your life. I wrote down here, you, you said, I'm from Tennessee and I'm stubborn. Yeah, it's amazing how that God will build us with a stubbornness for the exact purpose of our life. And when we find it, the stubbornness is now a key. How has stubbornness helped you as you try to help other people break addictions and get off drugs and change their life and everything else that Hope Ministries is uh, working towards? Well, I'll tell you this. My stubbornness has served me well in this particular position (laughs) because I never give up. We have this... uh, on the admissions team specifically, we have this uh, saying, and we actually all have it tattooed. It's it's one more Lord, and um, mm-hmm. it's so funny because uh, we went on a annual trip last year on a training trip, and um, everybody was like, "Listen, that I am not getting that tattoo. Like this is a cult. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not." But uh, we watched. Um, Hacksaw Ridge, and if you've mm-hmm. never seen that movie, like I encourage you to watch it. It's but. on my watch list after talking with you and, and your husband. Yes, you need to watch that movie, but there's it's a true story about a gentleman from World War II. His name is Desmond Doss, and um, he he his theory is while everybody else is going to war to take lives, I want to save them. And so um, he goes, they put him, actually the army puts him in prison. They uh, beat him nearly to death, like, because he refuses to carry a weapon. And so finally, the the judge is like, if you want to run into war with nothing to protect you, then so be it. And they go up on this, this ridge, um, hence the Hacksaw Ridge. They go up on this ridge, and within 10 minutes, the entire platoon is, like, slaughtered. And, um everybody's just running back for the ones that you know that basically aren't handicapped or you know dead Mm -hmm. and so everybody runs off the ridge and Desmond's the last one and he looks up at God and he said God what do you want from me why did you bring me here and as soon as he says that he just hears all these men screaming in the background please help help don't leave me help me and he said okay I'll go and for hours and days he doesn't eat he doesn't sleep of course Desmond if you would saw the movie he's about 120 pounds and Mm -hmm. he's levering these people with a rope he's going and picking them up for days and putting them over his shoulders and he's levering people off this ridge um and he's so weak and he's so tired and he just lays back in that moment and when he gets tired and he gets weak, he says, Lord, just let me get one more. Help me to get one more. Despite the amount of pain he was in, despite how tired he was in, despite how weak he was, all he did was just look up and say, one more. Help me get one more. And he went and he ended up saving 75 people. Yeah. And that's a true story. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that story, there's been a lot of times where I've been weak and I've been weary and I've been tired. And all I can do is look to the sky and say, one more, Lord. Yeah. Please just let me go grab one more. And uh, and God helps me to do that. And that is where my stubbornness <laughs> is successful. You sure. know? That's where I'm able to use that. So. You know, there are positive attributes to my stubbornness, more so now than there were in the past. (laughs) Well, tell everyone just really quickly a little bit about 
Hope Ministries. I'm going to put a link to their website. We've we've mentioned them before. Going to put another link in the description of this podcast. But tell everyone quickly. Take a couple of minutes. Tell them about Hope Ministries and what you guys do. So Hope Center Ministries is a um, long-term cross-centered drug and alcohol recovery program. Um, it is a one-year program. Um, there is a payment, but to be honest with you, um, we don't ever turn anybody away because they don't have the initial $700 fee. It's not our heart. Um, money is not a driving force. Um, it is broken into three phases. The first phase is 45 days. That's what we call our focus period. That's really where we're trying to introduce you to Christ, let him know what he can do in your life, how peace, contentment, teaching you how to love yourself. Um, and then the second phase of the program is uh, vocational training. Um, and that's where we're still working with you on how to love yourself and how to let God love you, but also teaching you how to be a productive member of society at the same time. The importance of getting up and going to, to work and the importance of being able to maintain that with Bible studies and celebrate recovery and um your family, you know, like making those things a priority and still being able to do that. And so uh, you do that for eight months, then you transition into what we call community living. And in that time frame, those companies that you work for will hire you on full time. You're living there for free, saving up your money. Um, you get your own phone, your own car. And that's really a transition process where we've had 10 months to work with you. And now we're trying to get you ready for the fact that you're fixing to go back out into the real world. Um, we want to make sure you have a stable environment. We want to make sure that we've worked with your family that you're going to go home to. Um, we see a lot of success as far as when a resident comes in, um, you know, probably about 50% of them don't have a good home life. They don't have a good support system. Mm. And so uh, our goal is not um, just to work with the residents, but to work with the families. Um, if all we do is work with the residents, we really haven't done anything if they're going back to the same environment. So we see families come. We see loved ones, spouses, children show up. They start getting involved. Um we see children come that have never experienced the gospel in their life that now that their dad's in there their mom's coming too and how the kids are jump running jumping uh, up and down saying i learned a scripture today <laughs> yeah and, and so um, that community living time is where we're preparing them to be able to continue to do that even when we're not there um, and then the second Friday of every month, we have a graduation ceremony where we present them with a $700 check and a certificate. We let them get up and give their testimony and explain what God's done in their life and what they've experienced through this year of uh, your walk with Christ. Um, that's probably the most humbling part about my job every time, um, just because I see them in the jail cell and the shackles and the handcuffs, and I watch them broken and, and beg just, just for a shot. And then you see, you watch them a year later stand on stage and talk about how they were lost and now they're found. Mm. Powerful. Isn't it? I mean, come on. Well, first of all, I just, again, want to say thanks for sharing your story. If you're listening today and um, you're struggling with addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, maybe maybe yours isn't an addiction, but you're struggling with a hurt. Maybe maybe you're a young lady who has been abused um, or mistreated and, and you're you're carrying hurts and, and you're needing some help. Um, go into the description of this podcast and give my friends over at Hope Center Ministries a, a call and um, let them be the hands and feet of Christ to you that can help pull you out of your issues. Um, better yet, let them be the guy on the ridge picking you up out of where you were and delivering you someplace else um, to a place of safety and security because God truly does care about you. Ashley, I am impressed by you. I have been since the first time I met you. I've told you that. Um, and that was before I knew your story. But even after knowing your story, it's more impressive to me that you haven't run from your past. So many people, they want to get out of a situation and then run from it. But you've embraced it and actually allowing God to use your past to now help other people out of their their past, which is to me is just phenomenal. Um, and I know that there are many, many many other people that um, 
that you're going to be, have an impact on. And um, I'm just glad that you were here today. Want to say anything else, Pop? I'm uh, just uh, You're emotional. I mean, why are you emotional? Well, it's all of our stories, but it's more impactful, you know, sitting here next to, is it Ashley? It's Ashley. You know, and hearing her in-depth recall of things and how we've all been touched in one way or another by that pain and that loss. But then I've experienced that same grace that she's talking about, and I'm just more thankful now than ever for the grace of God who comes to us and finds us and works with us and cares about us. You know, I was thinking, uh, you know, as I said earlier, he says, uh, I know the end from the beginning. He doesn't say I know the beginning and the end. Right. Because, you know, David makes a comment in one of his Psalms that he knew me even before I was born. He wrote all my days in his books. Mm -hmm. And so he has it all planned out before we ever are birthed out of our mother's womb. And then he works again to bring us into the reality of that so we can live out in relationship with him, not only temporarily in this life, but eternally together, what he wants, what he wills, what he's purposed for our life. And we think we predetermine so much, but uh, it's his sovereign grace at times and the predestination of his grace that works in our life to, to bring all that about. But I was just thinking where Jesus made that statement to those who went around in his name and said, I've done this, I've right. done that in your name. He said, well, I never knew you. Because in the church, we can play a religious game. We can use his name. We can do all kinds of things in his name but never come to really know him. And I, I just sort of had an epiphany in that regard as she was talking that if he knows me as he sees me redeemed in Christ, but I never become that, he doesn't know me when right. I stand before him. Right. He knows me in Christ. And uh, so I think, uh, again, the, his, his grace is so deep and his love is so strong that he doesn't give it because he wants to bring us to Christ so he can know us and we can know him in Christ and not just experience that sense of peace and healing here, but be with him eternally there. But only those who come through Christ can enter. Yeah. And so the beauty of it is he's already prearranged it all if we come to Christ. And then that solidifies, if you will, um, I had a whole theological question. <laughs> I don't want to go there, but it it just it, I just don't I just don't think we know how how much He truly does love us until we experience that. And so again, I commend you for yeah. your honesty, your courage, what you're doing now, and um, what, how God's going to use you in days ahead in ways you haven't even dreamt of yet. But He has it all planned out yeah. for you as you walk it out with Him. And um, the glory of God that's on your life and how he's going to honor your commitment to him in so many ways. So I just bless you today. Yep. Thank God for you. Amen. Tell you what, Ashley, we got a couple minutes left. I want you to take about 90 seconds, and I want you to talk directly to people that are struggling with addictions. Um, what would you say to them right now? I know that you're hurting, and I know that you're in pain. Nobody wakes up one day and decides that when they grow up, they want to be an addict. They want to be, they want to escape to something and leave everything they love for that something. People, places, things, and situations have led you to where you are. And God didn't design for you to feel this way. He never intended for you to hurt like this. And I promise you that he is for you. He wants to see you succeed and he loves you. And right now, in this moment, in this exact moment, he knew that you were going to hear this statement. And he had this plan for you. And he wants this to be the reason that you turn around from where you are right now and say, God, I can't. I can't. You can. I can't do it anymore. But I want you to know that at any point in time, you can reach out to me. I guess maybe you can list my number. Mm -hmm. um, you can reach out on our website. Um, you need to know that there are people who love you, not because of anything you've done or any success that you've had, but because you were created by the Father for a purpose. And you have no idea what you're capable of. 
You know, I read this thing on Facebook all the time that says thieves don't break into empty houses. There is a reason Satan is working so hard to destroy your life right now, and it's because you have a phenomenal purpose. Amen. You said earlier in the as we begin your story that uh, one of the reasons you got into drugs was just kind of feeling out of sight, out of mind. Your dad was gone, and you were out of sight and out of mind. Um, well, folks, we're never truly out of his That's sight. True. We are never, ever out of his mind. He always has something in store for us that we cannot see. And I want to encourage you to check out Hope Center Ministries. But most importantly, let God be the one who heals your hurt and helps restore your life. Because that's what this is all about. So thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Dad, for being a part of today's broadcast. And thank you. And we'll see you next time on the next edition of the Renewed You Podcast. Till then, have a great day. God bless.